Are you a real know-it-all? Do you annoy your family by shouting the answers while watching Jeopardy? Do you drive people crazy when you start a sentence with, well, actually? Well, guess what? You can go fact yourself. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Go Fact Yourself, the show where we quiz the smartest people we know and find out why they love what they love. I'm Helen Hong, and now socially distancing from our homes in Los Angeles, here's our moderator, J. Keith Van Stratton. Thank you, Helen. How are you? I'm very well. How are you? I actually am in a very good mood. I do not know if I deserve to be, though. Um, (laughs) Do tell. Do explain. Okay. So uh, the other day, my washing machine broke. It would only work on like half of the dial. So I called the repair person. Repair person came. They said I needed a new timer and that the timer would cost $275 Yikes. Uh, and $175 to install. Yikes. And uh, that to me is a lot of money. Yeah. I sent the person away and then I did a little research and I found that I could buy the timer for significantly less than $275 <gasps> and according to a YouTube video, installed it myself. What? You did some YouTube DIY? Yes. So I ordered the part and I took apart the machine as I was supposed to and I put it in and now the machine does not work at all. (laughs) So I looked at the part though and it turned out that the part they sent was a little different than the one I thought I had ordered. So I uninstalled the new part and put the old part back in and the washing machine now works perfectly. And I have no idea if I should be allowed to take credit for this uh, because <laughs> I don't know what the you hell happened. You absolutely should. You tinkered, okay. you tinkered with it. You took yes. it apart. You you did the you did the version of like turn hit the power button and then reset and turn it back yeah. on, and you fixed it. Oh my gosh, I'm impressed with you. Thank you. Uh, we will see how long it lasts. I will probably be calling uh, the washing machine guy back. But for now, I'm going to take the W. Thank you, Wow. Ellen. I had a similar situation with my washer dryer, and now we have a new washer dryer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that may be in my near future as well. <laughs> Today on Go Fact Yourself, two guests will compete to answer questions about facts they know, facts they might not know, and, frankly, facts they should know. Plus, we'll meet actual experts on two very different topics. And finally, we'll declare one of our guest, the winner of today's show. Let's get started and meet today's guest, Helen, who is up first. She is a pop culture writer and geek influencer who hosts the Blurred Girl podcast and the weekly Blurred Girl Live on Twitch and is the author of the upcoming book, Marvel's Protectors of Wakanda, a history and training manual of the Dora Milaje. It's Kara Mahorn. Hello, Kara Mahorn. Hi there. How are you? I'm so excited. (laughs) Oh, good. We love excitement. That's wonderful. You call yourself the blurred girl. Let's break it down for our listeners who aren't as familiar. First of all, tell us what blurred means. Blurred means basically black nerd. And when I was first like kind of online looking for other like black geeks like myself, Mm -hmm. it was sort of like a call sign. People are always surprised when I'm like, oh, yes, absolutely. Star Wars, Star Trek, anime, superheroes. What? Yes, all of that. All of that. And had you told me when I was being teased and locked in my locker in 10th grade that I could actually make a living doing this, (laughs) high school would have gone very, very differently. Yes, Revenge of the Blurbs, indeed. Yes. I just returned from the Star Trek convention, like the official Star Trek convention, and I was surprised at how many black nerds were like eyeball deep in Trek nerd culture and they were just there and repping and like into it and I was like yes we come in all colors Ahura was my patron saint so (laughs) you know I look at it like I tell people think about getting a new pair of headphones 
you didn't know what you weren't listening to until you got the new ones. And you were like, oh my God, what am I missing? Mm -hmm. And so that's sort of how I look at just other voices within the genre space. It's so cool. One of the things that you're doing to help further that cause is a curation of of an exhibit. Tell us about this upcoming event that you're doing. It's at the Society of Illustrators. It's going to be in June here in New York. And I'm really excited because an award-winning artist, John Martinborough, who has worked on everything from Batman to uh, like Thief of Thieves and um, everything from DC and Marvel and things like that, we were able to find a bunch of different artists that have worked in comic books. And we're basically doing an exhibition of their work. Our opening night's really June 16th and it's going to go through October. So if you're in New York and you can stop by the Society of Illustrators, please come hang out and see some incredible uh, sequential art. Very, very cool. And I love that term sequential art. I hadn't thought of graphic novels and comic books like that, but that's exactly what it is, of course. You've hosted a bunch of panels at conventions. How do you keep your cool when you're talking to someone like Chris Hemsworth or <laughs> or, or that elk when you when you come from such a, such a profound love of this stuff? The wigging out kind of goes away way when you've got all the security. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. The fandom. Once they're armed battalions, you tend to focus pretty quickly. <laughs> exactly. You know, everybody wants to have a conversation about what they do. Mm-hmm. They want to tell you about what they do. Most artists, most actors, I've never met anybody who you, if you ask them genuinely, what do you do? Why mm-hmm. are you excited about this? They don't want to tell you. And I think sometimes I've had some amazing, incredibly funny, incredibly insightful conversations with some amazing people. And yes, some of them have been stars, Mm -hmm. but it's not always what you think, which Mm -hmm. I think is great. That is really cool. Doing conventions is sort of a new part of Helen's career. She just started uh, doing some hosting for uh, conventions. The Star Trek con that I just came back from is my very first con of any kind that I've been to, even (gasps) though I'm a lifelong Star Trek fan. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. And I was so nervous and I was right to be because, oh, they go hard. Nerds go hard. (laughs) Yeah. The test I usually give people is say my name. And they're like, why? I'm like, because if you can speak fluent Klingon, and you cannot say my name, <laughs> I'm not listening to you. You might not be paying attention to the right thing. Oh, that is such a good test. I wish my name was harder to say. <laughs> well, I hope this makes sense. I certainly grok that you are here, Kara Mahorn. <laughs> Very good. I said a nerd thing. <laughs> Helen against whom will Kara be competing? He is an Emmy-winning correspondent for CBS Sunday Morning, a frequent panelist on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, and the author of Mobituaries, a best-selling book based on his podcast, the third season of which is dropping this fall. It's Mo Rocca! Hi, Mo Rocca! Oh, I'm Shay Keith. Hi, Helen. Hi, Karima. Hi! Hi I'm so excited to be on here with you. <laughs> Let's actually start with that, because Karima, when I told you that Mo would be appearing with you, uh, you wrote, quote, OMG, I love Mo Rocca, but clearly I'm going to lose. Because I've listened to you on NPR for years, cooking with grandmas, everything. Like, I'm a fan of a lot of the work that you do because I'm a fan of trivia and you always talk about some really, really interesting things. So right now it's dead people. So, (laughs) Well, thank you. I mean, the thing is, the truth is, I I know a lot about a few things and I think people just extrapolate that and assume that I know much more. So I, I'm afraid that this will be my emperor has no clothes. <laughs> I, I don't 
know, Mo, I've known you for a while, and I'm always surprised at how much you know about the quote-unquote few things that you yeah. know. Like, the few things is quite a lot of things that you go hard on. State flowers, world capital. Cats, Cats the musical. <laughs> well, Mo, of course, Helen is familiar uh, with your work from having worked with you on Wait, Wait, right. Don't Tell Me. Um, how do you feel about Helen Hong being a judge of your answers today? I feel a little betrayed. <laughs> oh, really? I think suddenly, I, this is, I didn't expect to, like, meet her in this capacity. I always viewed us as comrades. I know, it's true. But I I knew it would come to this eventually. (laughs) Yes, this really is the the apex of any conflict between two people. (laughs) Mo, I want to ask you about being a correspondent on CBS Sunday Morning. Uh, One of your specialties over the years has been presidential history. I'm curious how you kind of got on that beat. I think when you grow up in D.C., which is a mill town, the president is sort of the above the title film star. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Whether he's a hero or a villain. And and somehow I got into this whole thing of becoming interested in obscure presidents of the past and their lives and also the docents, which is such an NPR word. But the people who <laughs> would work at the Benjamin Harrison house on, you know, Delaware Avenue in Indianapolis, Indiana, when most people visiting there were just stopping to use the bathroom. <laughs> but like they because if you work at Monticello or Hyde Park or Mount Vernon, right. people are impressed when they walk in the door. But if you work you know, at the Rutherford B. Hayes home That's right. in Ohio. <laughs> that Hayes peed here sign really does a lot of the heavy lifting. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. Mobituaries, which is your wonderful book and wonderful podcast, which is returning for a season this fall. It's such a wonderful project. And I read in your bio, it says, Mo Rocca has always loved obituaries. Is that really true? Always? Like even as a child? Caroline, you guys were talking about d- the different cons mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. you've been to. The only con I've been to is ObitCon. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god I there was, is a dead people's con i was just now years old when i learned that there's a, <laughs> there's a dead people con <laughs> oh but con is fabulous especially some of the older obituary writers mm-hmm. i met there one guy john pope from new orleans was telling me how the old euphemisms that were used that they said he was quite the raconteur that meant oh he just wouldn't shut up he was really boring <laughs> he was a people um, person he just he was, yeah, he was he was handsy yes and there's so many euphemisms for the other woman but anyway the, oh gosh uh, uh, the so-called but, yeah um, and, and of course uh, in the old days his, his longtime companion and, uh, and gardener exactly. yeah it, it would be me uh. <laughs> On the panels, on the panels, special friend. Yeah. Today. <laughs> Speaking of which, I wanted to ask you, as, as you've been an openly gay man for uh, for a while, and one of the cool things that you got to do was do a mass at Madison Square Garden with the Pope. Uh, what right. did that mean to you personally and as an openly gay man? I want to say it was an honor, but that almost feels so self-aggrandizing, like I was being honored. I was oh. certainly <laughs> humbled. You know, to be asked of the lector to do a reading from El Libro de Isaiah. I had the archdiocese said, um, he had asked the cardinal if they could ask me to do this. And that the cardinal said, well, it's a reading in Spanish. That reading has to be in Spanish. Does most speak Spanish? And that the chancellor said, He'll figure it out. Which I was kind of flattering. My mother is, in fact, Colombian, so I worked on that. Uh, it was, you know, it was a, 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 obviously a moment I'll never forget. That's great. Last thing I want to ask you about you and I have something in common. Uh, we both played Seymour in our college production of Little Shop of Horrors. Uh, let's take it from the top. No, no, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> but one of our many differences is that your co star recently made big news. Yes, my co star was Katanji Brown-Jackson, then Katanji <gasps> Brown. No who was, way! Who was Ronette. 
Wait, I'm telling you. There's another thread here. I've played Renette twice. What? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> Show, or, oh, I cannot wait for your nomination to the court. Yes. Oh, no, congratulations. Wait, how am I the only odd man out in this scenario? <laughs> no, I think the problem is, God, Karima, it's just too bad you didn't play Crystal because then you'd be nominated to the court. They oh, already have a Ronette. Crystal, you were Ronette. Oh, I see. Yes. You know, one of the great things, by the way, is that yeah. Little Shump has a cast of nine. Yeah. So, of course, I was going, okay, so Alito will play Mushnet. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, we can't wait for that exciting production <laughs> of Little Shop of Horrors. We're so happy that you're joining us, Mo Rocca. Thank you. All right, Mo and Karima, we each asked you to provide us with a few topics outside your field of work in which you feel you have some expertise. Karima, you said you know a lot about Ghost in the Shell anime, the K-pop group Shiny, and... <laughs> This sort of fits the trend, mason jars. Whereas, Mo, you said you know a lot about TV shows of 1982, Barbara Streisand before 1985, and to bring us more current, Chanel's best-selling fragrances of 1992. I cannot wait to get to those topics, which we'll do later on as we ask each of you some in-depth trivia questions about one of them. But first, we're going to get your thoughts on something you might know nothing about. It's time to split some hairs with our What's the Difference round. We'll have one question for each of you, each worth up to two points. If either of you gives an incorrect answer, the other person has a chance to steal. Your topic today, sleeping pills. First up is Karima with sleeping. Karima, while both might make you... <laughs> I don't know anything about this. Oh, I'm okay. just you know. <laughs> you know nothing about I sleeping? Don't sleep. Okay. I don't sleep. <laughs> well, let's see, let's see if from your many, uh, many sci-fi nerd culture topics, if you pick, absorbed any information about sleep. Karima, while both might make you want to go to sleep, what's the difference between being tired and feeling fatigued? Tired and fatigued. Okay, I think... Fatigued is a lack of oxygen somewhere. Okay. I don't know if it's in your bloodstream or if it's going to your brain. And tired is actually a lack of sleep. This is that's what I think. That is what you think, and that's what you said. We'll see if that's correct. We don't know yet if you've got it exactly right. Mo, if you don't think she got it just exactly right, you can steal. What do you think, Mo? I always thought that fatigued was just another word for wearing camouflage pants. <laughs> for me to steal it, it, it would have to be different. Yes. So, um, I think that um, that tired means that you're oxygen deprived. Okay, taking a little strategy there. Yeah, flipping nice. it around. All right. Well, it's time to put this segment to bed. Let's go to Helen Hong at the judges' table for the facts. Here are the facts. Feeling tired is something you should experience every day. It's a normal part of life, and the feeling is alleviated by sleeping. Being fatigued is a sense of tiredness or exhaustion that is not alleviated by sleeping. It's often a sign that something is medically wrong, either physically or mentally. And if it recurs, you should probably talk to a doctor. Yeah, especially if you're not getting any oxygen. <laughs> That's right, Helen. Fatigue can be chronic or long-term, and it can be acute or short-term. For instance, I've often experienced jet lag, which is also known as flight fatigue, although I've also been known to experience train fatigue, car fatigue, and my favorite, hammock fatigue. Helen, how did our guest do? I think, Karima, I'm going to give you one point for saying tired is lack of sleep, but... Uh... Oxygen has nothing to do with any of these answers, and neither do camo pants. I'm sorry, Mo. <laughs> sorry, Mo. <laughs> but we appreciate the sartorial angle. All right, up next in Sleeping Pills is Mo with Pills. Mo, your question comes from a listener. Who is it, Helen? I will let them tell you themselves because we have a listener recording. Listeners, if you'd like to submit a suggestion for our What's the Difference round, go to gofactorpod.com and click on Get Involved. Okay, play it. 
Hello, go fact yourself. This is Adam Needif from Vienna, West Virginia. And my question for what's the difference is, while they both might be a part of your prescription for a sleeping pill, what's the difference between dose and dosage? Thanks. All right. Thank you, Adam. By the way, that name, Adam Needif, might sound familiar to our listeners. He is someone who helps us very often with our research on the show, and he suggested a question that he himself researched. So anyway, Mo, you heard the question from Adam. What is the difference between dose and dosage? I'm going to guess that a dose refers to the number and frequency of pills consumed, and the Mm -hmm. dosage is the amount, usually measured in milligrams, of the medication in the pill, in the actual dose. All right. We've got Mo's answer. Don't know yet if he's correct. Karima, what do you think? Wow. See? That sounded really good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you could do, okay. You could go for the most strategy of flipping it. I, but, I'm uh, going to do that. You. I'm going to flip them. I'm going to flip them. I'm going to say dose is the amount of the drug. Okay. And dosage is simply the amount of like the medication taken. I'm going to flip it around. Flip it happens. around. Well, this segment is starting to cause side effects. Let's go to Helen Hong at the judges table <laughs> for the facts. Here are the facts. A dose is the amount of medication you take at one specific time. A medication's dosage is how you take it, when you take it, and how often you take so it. So wrong. That's right. 25 milligrams, a term that we heard from Mo, is a single dose. A 25 milligram tablet on an empty stomach during the evening every other night for two weeks is a dosage, and remembering all that is an information overdose. Helen, how did our guest do? I think Karima got both points correct. <laughs> she did. The flipping Just strategy the paid off. <laughs> all right, Helen, what is our score at the end of that round? At the end of that first round, Karima Horn has three points, and Mo Rocca has zero points. And I've got 100 milligrams of humble pie. (laughs) (laughs) Don't worry, Mo. Those scores are bound to change as we move on to questions about topics our guests have chosen for themselves. That's all up ahead when we come back on Go Fact Yourself. Oh, Helen, guess what time it is. We get to talk about what product that I love so much. Is it Magic Spoon Cereal? It is Magic Spoon Cereal. Oh, boy. If you could see me, you would see me smiling, and you would see Helen smiling at me smiling. There is so much (laughs) smiling going on because we love Magic Spoon. I particularly love it. You know, eating protein for breakfast can have a lot of benefits and can be a great way to tide you over all morning. But how are you going to get that protein, especially in a delicious way when you're doing a low-carb diet? Well, It's Magic Spoon. Spoiler. Hey, Helen, tell them about that healthy stuff that Magic Spoon gets you. Magic Spoon has zero grams of sugar, 140 calories, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and only four net grams of carbs in each serving. Ooh, we have a special note. What's that special note, Helen? The, here's an asterisk, the Uh honey nut flavor has one gram of sugar. Oh, so wow. don't that send us don't, don't send angry emails saying calling us lying liars who lie. We just right. gave you the asterisk note. Oh, but that one gram goes a long, long way. <laughs> Magic Spoon is keto friendly, gluten free, grain free, soy free, and low carb, and you can build your own box. The nine available flavors to build your very own custom bundle are cocoa, fruity, frosted, peanut butter, cookies and cream, maple waffle, blueberry muffin, cinnamon roll, and the aforementioned 
Honey Nut. Nice word. Even more exciting, Magic Spoon just brought back their cereal bars. They were so popular that they brought them back permanently. It's the perfectly convenient on-the-go companion for your cereal. Hey, Helen, how do people get their Magic Spoon? Go to magicspoon.com slash gofact to grab a custom bundle of cereal. And be sure to use our promo code GOFACT at the checkout to save $5 off your order. They're so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they will refund your money, no questions asked. Yeah, get that next delicious bowl of cereal at magicspoon.com slash gofact and use our coupon code gofact to save $5 off and to let them know that you heard about it here on GoFact Yourself. Thank, Thank you, you, Magic, Magic Spoon. Spoon. Hey, it's John Moe. Join me on Depression Mode for conversations on how mental health shapes our life. This week, David Sedaris with stories of his late father that he's finally willing to tell. I think there's a difference between, you know, a good person and a good character. Like, he was a good character, my boyfriend here. You know, my father was another one of those people. He was a really good character, but he, he, he wasn't a good person. Depression Mode with John Moe, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Go Fact Yourself with our guests, Kara Mahorn and Mo Rocca. Once again, here's J. Keith Van Stratton. Thank you, Helen. All right, Karima, of your many interests, you told us you know a lot about Ghost in the Shell anime, the K-pop group Shiny, and Mason Jars. Let's find out a little bit more about each of those. First, tell us what Ghost in the Shell anime means to you. <laughs> I am captivated by the philosophy of this movie. Now, mm. I, I think a lot of anime fans are like, oh, you know, it's just people running around in mechs and suits and things like that. The first movie that when it came out was in 1985. And I feel like what the director, Mamoru Oshii, and for, forgive me if I'm saying his name wrong, all the movies up to that point had been man versus machine, you know, like mm -hmm. that Terminator kind of thing. This was the philosophical concept of man and machine and emerging almost like a singularity, that mm -hmm. concept. Mm -hmm. The two things that struck me are what the Ghost in the Shell movie in 95 did to not just animation, mm -hmm. but the concept of cyberpunk and filmmaking as a whole. Everything that we have seen almost in science fiction from Matrix, it's had a very symbiotic effect. And if you look at a lot of the science fiction that's out now and go back and look at the very first movie, you will see scenes from every single science fiction movie and TV show that you've probably seen in the past decade. Wow. That concept of what is human, what is a singularity, when does an AI have sentience, does that mean it has rights? What does that mean? And wow. I just... I dive into all that. <laughs> yeah. And that was just you dipping your toe into the shallow end. There's even a lot more from that. All right, Caramel, you also said you know a lot about the K-pop group Shiny. I fell down the K-pop uh, rabbit hole. As one does. As one does. Because once you get in, you can't get out. I mean. <laughs> what is it about Shiny that appeals to you so much? They were the group that I hit first. Okay. Every single one of them has just different talents I thought were amazing. And then I was also fascinated by the entire K-pop industry, especially like SM Entertainment and things like that, how it modeled itself after old Hollywood. Like these kids would like leave and move in yeah. 
and mm. they would live on campus oh, and yeah. learn how to talk to the press and sing. And, thing. and I was just fascinated by, you know, and then, of course, of course, they did, like, amazing music. Now, we mentioned that you, you have a little bit of a musical theater background. Can you give us a few bars of your favorite Chinese okay. song for those who you want an what? entree into nobody, this? Nobody wants me to do that. Nobody Absolutely wants that. Not. All right, then let's move on to your last topic, because you also said you know a lot about mason jars. I mean, they're everywhere. Look, I lit, I'm holding one up right now for those yeah. of you listening to the podcast. Oh. Uh, my mother's from Bermuda, very the British-owned colony, very proper British. Tea sets. I knew how to do uh, place settings before I knew how to write my name. It's like, what is this? And why <laughs> I did not raise you to drink? That's a container. It's a storage container. You don't drink out of it. She's like, why are you drinking out of glass Tupperware? What is happening? <laughs> what happened? I know you're in Brooklyn and times are tough, but honey, why? <laughs> I'm sort of on your mother's side. I mean, I think oh. mason jars, I know they're hip, but... I sort of associate them with survivalists, <laughs> having them lining shelves with different colored. You know what? It helps Karama get through the day, survive it's the day. Like, it's important. Listen, since 2020, anything's possible. Here, here. <laughs> All right. So to summarize, Karama, you said you know a lot about Ghost in the Shell anime, the K-pop group Shiny, and Mason Jars. Today, we're going to quiz you about Ghost in the Shell anime. <gasps> Okay. You're very excited. Yeah, she just, she just threw away that mason jar. She doesn't care about that anymore. Right, exactly. Uh, one of the things I want to ask you about, when you first gave me the topic, Ghost in the Shell anime, you put in parentheses, not the ScarJo movie, We Don't Know Her. Amen. No, no, we don't. Amen, we don't sister. We don't know her. Okay. Amen, we don't know her. We don't know her people. I love that she. Her. I love that she's become like a meme. Anytime anything Asian is trending, yeah. she's the meme, like... <laughs> yeah. All right. Just want to be clear. We're not going to be touching on uh, on that live action movie. Now, of course, these animes were originally uh, released in Japanese and then have since been dubbed in English. You actually find appreciation for both of those. I do. And specifically, one, one of the things that happened with Ghost in the Shell was that when it was sent to the States, it was sent with two different dubs. There was a Japanese dub that was sent and an English dub. Now, a lot of people think of their anime from a lot of Adult Swim and things like that. But mm-hmm. I was also had DVDs that did not have translations on them, and we would just make up what we thought people <laughs> So there was a third version that was the Caramel Horn version. <laughs> yes. So I do think that there are certain things, because there's a lot of philosophy that was in his script, mm-hmm. certain things get lost in translation. Mm. One of the things that Ghost in the Shell always had was a really good... I, really think, especially after 2.0, they had a really, really good voice cast. Well, just ahead, we're going to enlist the help of a bona fide expert in your topic to test your mastery in the subject with our expert-level question, worth up to three points. But before that, to let you show your love, here are five trivia questions about your topic, each worth one point. If you want it, you're allowed to hint for any two of these five questions. Now, Mo, do listen closely, because if Karama answers incorrectly, you can steal. Mo, by the way, how much do you know about Ghost in the Shell anime? Uh, nothing. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll see if that reputation is knowing something about everything that comes into play. (laughs) Karima, here's question number one. I have a feeling you're going to know this one. Many of the themes and visuals from Ghost in the Shell may look familiar to moviegoers, even if they've never seen it. That's especially true of a 1999 movie whose ghost influence was acknowledged by its sibling directors, who had shown producers the 1995 Ghost in the Shell anime and said, we want to do that for real. What Keanu Reeves movie did they end up making? That's the Wachowskis, and they made Matrix. Helen? That is correct. That is correct for the point. Fun fact, besides the common theme of plugging into the back of someone's head to download information, there are shots in the Matrix that are direct replications of ones from Ghost in the Shell. As Karima mentioned, you'll see that in a bunch of sci-fi movies that came after. All right, here's question number two. 
Much of the action in the Ghost in the Shell franchise takes place in a fictional city. There are a couple real cities in America that have similar names, for instance, one in Virginia that has the same name plus the word news. What is the name of this fictional city? I'll say Newtown. Helen? That's not correct. No, I'm <gasps> terribly sorry. Oh, Mo no! with a chance to steal. It's Newport. I'm a big Delmore guy. <laughs> <laughs> Helen, is it Newport? It is Newport. It is. Okay. I'm terribly wow. sorry. No, it's fine. It's yep. fine. That's all right. Newport City. Fun fact, in the Ghost in the Shell universe, Newport City became the capital of Japan after the destruction of Tokyo in World War III, which may happen any day now, not so much because of current political events, but more because the action in the franchise starts in the year 2029. <laughs> which used to seem very far away. All right, Karen, let's see if you can bounce back with question number three. Most of the members of the Section 9 team are very stoic, but one of Major Motoko Kusanagi's close co-workers seems more warm and fuzzy when he's dealing with his dog, Gabriel. What droopy breed of dog is Gabriel? Oh, he's a basset hound. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. You're back in play here. <laughs> Fun fact, the director of many parts of the Ghost in the Shell franchise, Momori Oshi, was also the owner of a Basset Hound and has said, quote, humans can be free only if they free themselves from their body. When I'm playing around with my dog, I forget that I am a human being and it's only then that I feel free. I like this philosophy. Yeah, a little philosophy in your comedy trivia podcast. <laughs> All right, Karima, here's question number four. You still have your two hints available. If you watched Ghost in the Shell Standalone Complex or its second G.I.G. on Cartoon Network's Adult Swim TV broadcast, you would see one complete episode each time it aired. But if you watched in different countries or on other platforms, you would see an additional animated short following each episode. What were these one-minute shorts called? Let me get my hint. I know it's Tatsukoma's in it, though. Helen, how about that first hint? These shorts featured the spider-like artificially intelligent tanks. And the title rhymes with. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> Blechicomatic Blaze. I think it's Tatskomic Days or Tatskoma Days. Helen? That is correct. That is okay. correct for the point. Very yeah. nice use of the hint. I knew Tatskoma was in. I just couldn't remember the second Whoa. part. Yeah. <laughs> well, it rhymes with Blaze. Fun fact, in the original Ghost in the Shell manga, similar creatures were called Fuchikoma. The animated shorts were known as Tachikoma Specials or Tachikoma Days or Tachikoma Nahibi. And I hope I'm not mispronouncing those. And they were never in the movie, which was fascinating. They didn't pull them in until they, they put them in yeah. uh, standalone conference. Also, they're these super destructive machines that have the cutest little kid voices. They do. Did you? You say Tachacoma Days? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. As yes. opposed to Talladega Nights. <laughs> yes, yes. Yes, but I think it was a play on words. I really do, just like that. <laughs> all right, well, that was, that's the double feature we're all looking for. All right, here's question number five, Karima. The opening theme for Ghost in the Shell Standalone Complex is Inner Universe, performed by Origa, with lyrics written in three languages, one of which is English. What are the other two languages? Let me use the second hand. Helen? One is an official language of Belarus, Kazakhstan, and Kyrgyzstan. Another was the official language of the Roman Empire. I'm going to say Russian and Latin. Helen? That is correct. That is correct, wow. Karen. A very nice job on a difficult question. <laughs> Fun fact, the closing theme in the English version of the original movie is performed by a band called Passengers, which is actually Bono and the Edge from U2. All right, yes. Karima, you did very well in that round, but now it is time for your expert level question that requires okay. multiple answers. It is time for your cluster fact. We'll be bringing on an okay. expert to discuss your response. 
All right, Karima, listen to this clip from Ghost in the Shell 2 Innocence, and then we'll ask you your question. Didn't you promise no shooting? I really tried, I swear. They pulled out their guns. That, of course, was the two male leads of the show, Bato and Togusa, confronting members of a Japanese organized crime syndicate. So for up to three points, what Japanese organized crime syndicate are they confronting? And who provided these English language voices of Bato and Togusa? Okay, it was definitely the Yakuza. Okay. And that was a very messy scene. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> now, I'm trying to think of all of the English language character, people, uh, actor names. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to go with Bato is Richard Epcar. Okay. Um, and Togusa? Chin Han, but I don't think that last one's right. All right. Well, Helen is taking note of your answers. We have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. In fact, we have two experts. Helen, who do we have tonight? Joining us tonight are two prolific voice actors whose many roles include long runs as the male leads in Ghost in the Shell. It's Richard Epcar and Crispin <gasps> Freeman. Oh, my God. Crispin Freeman. Of course. I'm so sorry. That's all right. It's all right. Hello, Crispin Freeman. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Hello, Richard Epcar. How are you? Oh, my God. <laughs> Karima is I'm... freaking out. Karima, how you doing? You did, a, you did a lot better than I would have, I'll tell you that. I need my mason yeah. jar. <laughs> Karima is right. fanning herself. She's taking long sips from her mason jar. <laughs> All right, we're going to give Karima a moment to uh, compose herself. But Richard and Crispin, welcome. Thank you. My goodness, if we mentioned all of the credits for the voice acting that you two have done, we would uh, be here for another hour. I will just say both of our guests have voiced several hundred characters in games, mm. anime, animation, and live action. Mm. Richard, your many credits include more. Mortal Kombat, Lupin the Third, and several projects as The Joker. You're also a prolific voice director. Mm-hmm. Crispin, your credits include Slayers, Helsing, and Naruto. You also host the podcast Voice Acting Mastery, and you teach a class of the same name in voice acting. It's such a wonderful treat to welcome you both. Yes, thank you for having us, and welcome to Section 9, Karma. <laughs> oh, I am so incredibly embarrassed right now, but oh, this is Oh, please don't awesome. be. We're, we're... I just got jumbled, and now I'm even worse. But <laughs> the, And it's so funny, because Togusa, he was one of the least cybernetic and most human characters, which made him so interesting. What did you two think of the philosophy of all of it when you first read the script? I'm sorry, I'm just going to take a No, back. no, please yeah. do, please do. <laughs> I had not heard of this series until this week, so you definitely will know uh, better questions asked than me. You touched upon a a lot of the important things about the show, and I think that for me, the interesting thing about it is that it talks about the morality of technology. And I think that that, to me, is uh, the biggest question of the series and the movie and everything else, and that's really what we're moving towards right now in our everyday world, which is kind of frightening. And Crispin, Karima mentioned the humanity that you brought to that role. Was that something that was a conscious choice for you? Absolutely. I'm a huge anime fan. I do presentations on mythological storytelling and animation and how the different religious traditions affect pop culture storytelling. And Ghost in the Shell was, I actually was at an event in 99 of Japan Society. It was a symposium on anime and Oshii, the director, was there. And I was able to ask him questions about the film 
film, and he was uh, premiering his new film, Jinro, The Wolf Brigade. I was not in the dub of the original 95 movie. I came in and took over the character in the 2002 Standalone Complex TV series. And when I had the opportunity to audition for him, I thought, oh, goody, right? Like that Togusa becomes the window character for the audience Mm, right? because he's the only one who's still fully human. And so much of his concerns are the concerns of humans dealing with all this technology. And so I knew that that was my responsibility as the window character for the show to have that sort of that uh, emotional heart, that way for the audience to interface with all of this crazy technology. I'm sorry, I didn't hear a word you said because both of you... Because his voice... Your voices are so... Your voices are so captivatingly mellifluous. Crispin, have you ever done a voiceover for a snack food or anything like that? No, I've never done a snack food. Although I do play Winston in the video game Overwatch and he really likes peanut butter. (laughs) Yes, he does. (laughs) And so I'm always asking you, did someone say peanut butter? Well, thank you so much, Crispin. I'm now craving peanut butter. You were that influential as a voice actor. So, Richard, you'd already done a lot of anime voice. How did you come to be on Ghost in the Shell? Honestly, it was one of the most amazing parts I've ever been offered, and I loved the show immensely, and I thought, wow, this is really cool. I hope we get to do more of this. And then, lo and behold, uh, two years later, they had auditions for the, the series. But what was interesting was they didn't really cast the people from the movie for the series. We had to re-audition for our roles, and oh, there was only, well, I don't know, you have to ask them. But, uh, you know, they, they only kept two of us. It was me and the guy who plays Aramaki, uh, William Knight, were the only two that remained from the film. And I think I got the part because I sounded like the guy in the movie. Uh, I think, you know, it, it worked out well, and I was really, really thrilled that I was able to continue. I've been doing this part for 27 years, if you can believe it. And, uh, wow. And, and you know, I, yeah. I never knew it was Newport City. So, you know, uh, okay. she, she knew more about it than I did, to tell you the truth. But Richard, I have to ask, because Innocence is Bato's movie. Yeah, right? it is. And how hard is it to be directing doing that translation of like the script and then it's like directing, producing and acting yourself. Yeah, I, I wrote like, the adaptation as well, yeah. So how difficult was that? In my career, I've done that many, many, many times. So it's it's not that difficult. It, it may sound very daunting, but I don't know. I just kind of go with it. Okay, <laughs> but, humble brag. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, it just seems part of the job, but you know, it's fine. It was, it was a wonderful project. I was very, very happy we were able to do it because initially... I believe it was DreamWorks had the rights to it, and they weren't going to dub it. They were just they just released it with the subtitles, and it was mm-hmm. this kind of a fluky thing that uh, happened to be in England at the time, and ran into the the head guy from manga, and he said, "We really want to do a dub of it with your guys." And so we talked about it, and we got it going. And, and as Karima mentioned, these dubs have a really good voice cast, and we can certainly hear yeah. that now. Crispin, can you tell us how how uh, the voice of Togusa came to you? How do you approach that? One of the things about Togusa, when they asked me to play the character, because at that time I'd been playing characters that were far larger than life, and Togusa mm-hmm. was so naturalistic. Mm. And they were basically like, Crispin, we know you can play these sort of big characters. Can you just play a cop? I'm that guy who who has to be the sort of private detective. I'm I'm the Humphrey Bogart. of, And, cause, and that's oh. the thing. is in, in the show, I run around with a revolver. I won't use any of the automatic weapons because I don't think they're reliable. I will only use my Mateva revolver Mateva, to, yes. shoot, to shoot with. <laughs> so I'm like this weird anachronism in the show, which is hilarious because I'm like, I have a computer science degree and I'm, like, I'm, I'm, I'm into technology. So like I'm playing the Luddite sort of against type. Richard, of course, I mentioned one of your more prolific roles is the role of Raiden on Mortal Kombat. Mortal Kombat, that's so cool. Yeah, that's another one. Uh, Raiden and the Joker are two yeah. characters that I, I play for Mortal Kombat and uh, 
those are two of my favorite characters along with Bateau. And uh, I just am really lucky and, and fortunate to be able to play such, such great characters, iconic characters. So, Last thing I want to ask you about, uh, Richard, I just met you right now as you came on the Zoom. Uh, Crispin, I met you when I was four years old. Yes, uh, and what? it was a very funny coincidence. I had no idea that this was the world that you were into, and uh, that you had become so accomplished. Tell the people how you and I met originally. We met originally at the Latin School of Chicago. So when they asked what language was in the Orija, the <laughs> Inner Vision, you knew what opening, was Latin. I was like yeah. Latin, Latin. So yeah. we, we met at the Latin School of Chicago. We both started, I believe, in junior kindergarten. At That's Latin, right. Correct. Junior. You were a yep. year junior ahead of me. What? Yes. <laughs> well, it's it's so wonderful to reconnect with you uh, this way. Let's get to the reason that we brought both of you here as far as our game is concerned. You heard the questions that we asked of Karama. First, we wanted to know in that scene that we played from Ghost in the Shell to Innocence, what Japanese organized crime syndicate are those two characters of Bato and Togusa confronting? Helen, what did Karama say? Karama said Yakuza. And? She's right. She is right. It was the Yakuza. Point there for Karama. Next, we want to know who are the two voice actors who played the male leads of Bato and Togusa in the English dub of Ghost in the Shell 2 Innocence. Helen, what was the first answer that Karama gave? Karama said Richard Ebkar. And Richard? She's right. She is right for a point. Very good. <laughs> and finally, we wanted to know who was it that played Togusa. Helen, what did Karama say? Karama said Chin Han. That's the Japanese. <laughs> Sorry. Crispin? No. Chin Han, Janai. I'm not Chin Han, sorry. <laughs> not Chin oh, Han. Can I, you are. Can I possibly take this then? Uh, yes, Mo, Mo, would you like to steal? Mel Blanc. Oh, I'm terribly sorry. You had a chance. Perfect. I think he was Perfect. unavailable at that time. Yes. Yeah, well, Chrisman, thank you for being such a good sport about that. Obviously, uh, that was one of the other people who had done the voice. Before we let Crispin and Richard go, Karma, is there anything else you'd like to ask or say to our experts while we have them here? I just want to thank you both for uh, the work that you, you've done and also just the legacies you bring and the intensity to bring to all of your characters, not just these. You, uh, you both have had such huge careers. Crispin, I also want to just thank you for the stuff that you've been teaching and earlier I was talking about, I talk a lot about diversity within genre um, fandom and being very inclusive. And I always, always quote Togus's conversation with Motoko in the first movie when he was like, why did you pull me from the police force? You got a whole bunch of cyborgs here. Why am I here? And she was like, because we need you. We need your different way of looking at the world. Because if we don't, will be stagnant. Mm. And I just, that's one of the concepts that I really, really love um, about the series. And so, thank you. <laughs> we need to tell that to a bunch of our politicians. <laughs> oh, God. Listen, how much time do you have? <laughs> I would like to point out that Karma was watching our work on uh, Standalone Complex when it was on Adult Swim. Mm -hmm. And I was watching Richard's work when I was probably Karma's age on things like Robotech back in the day. So I'd like to give a huge thank you to Richard wow. for having been the trailblazer of all of this. Yes. So you have basically three generations of people who wow. are working in the industry about this because of the work of the people who came before us. So thank you, Richard. Thank you, Crispin. Uh, and I've never felt older. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> we thank you so much for joining us, Richard. If people want to find out more about you or your work, where can they do that? Uh, you can go to uh, find me on Instagram, Richard Epcar on Instagram. I have all my stuff there, and you can find out where I'm going to be appearing at conventions and all that sort of thing. I heard you guys say you've, you've only done one or two conventions, but uh, they're a lot of fun, and I really enjoy them, and it's great to meet the people and go out there. 
So Terrific. yeah. And Crispin, where can people find what you're up to? Uh, you can find me at crispinfreeman.com. That's my main website. And there's links there to my uh, podcast, Voice Acting Mastery at voiceactingmastery.com. And some of my mythology scholarship on storytelling and pop culture, which is at mythologyandmeaning.com. Excellent. We're certainly happy that both of you joined us. It gave a lot of meaning to us, Richard Epcar and Crispin Freeman. Thanks for having us. Yes, thank you so much. Helen, what is our score at the end of that exciting round? At the end of that round, J.K., Kara Mahorn has nine points and Mo Rocca has one point with a round of questions for Mo coming up. That's right. We're going to talk with Mo about a topic he knows about. Plus, later, Karima and Mo will go head-to-head in our Fast Facts round, all to find a winner on Go Fact Yourself. Oh, Helen, it's time to talk about ritual, ritual, (laughs) ritual. Wow, good trilling of the R's. Thank you so much. I feel like they should put an extra piece of punctuation on there to let us know, but I'll just do that just for you. Hey, what can I say about ritual? Well, you know, I can tell you this. It is vegan certified, non-GMO, gluten and allergen free. It also has got no fillers, colorants or shady additives. It's delayed release, no nausea capsule design. It's scientist and nutritionist recommended. It's got nine nutrients to help fill the gaps in your diet. And it's got oily and dry nutrients all in one capsule. And get ready for this. It uses methylated forms of folate and B12. It's transparently sourced ingredients. And it's got minty tabs to keep it fresh. What the heck am I talking about, Helen? All of that is about Ritual Vitamins. Yes, all of Ritual's science-backed vitamins are clean, vegan certified, and third-party tested so you can trust what you're putting into your body. And what I like about it so much is that they formulate them especially to certain people's uh, stages of life. For instance, I am a, uh, let us say, mature man of a certain age, and so my multivitamin needs might be different than a younger woman of a different age. And when I'm out of them, guess what? They show up at my door all ready to go again, and they have that great minty smell. Ritual's multivitamins are designed to help common nutrient gaps in the diet, all in just two minty capsules a day. Their delayed-release capsules help absorption and help to avoid an upset stomach. Their plant-based proteins provide a clean and complete plant-based protein design for specific life stages to support muscle growth. Yeah, these are supplements that you can trust taking. And in fact, Ritual is offering our listeners 10% off your first three months when you visit ritual.com slash gofact to start your ritual today. That's ritual.com slash gofact. And don't try to put that rolling R thing in. Just write a regular R. (laughs) But we know it's ritual. (laughs) And that makes us say... Thank, Thank you, Ritual. Ooh, I felt Spanish. Hi, I'm Jesse Thorne, the founder of Maximum Fun, and I have a special announcement. I'm no longer embarrassed by my brother, my brother, and me. You know, for years, each new episode of this supposed advice show was a fresh insult, a depraved jumble of erection jokes, ghost humor, and Frankly, this is for the best, very little actionable advice. But now, as they enter their twilight years, I'm as surprised as anyone to admit that it's gotten kind of good. Justin, Travis, and Griffin's witticisms are more refined, like a humor column in a fancy magazine. And they hardly ever say Bazinga anymore. So, after you've completely finished listening to every single one of all of our other shows, why not join the McElroy brothers every week for my brother, my brother, and me. Welcome back to Go Fact Yourself with our guests, Kara Mahorn and Mo Rocca. 
Once again, here's J. Keith Van Stratton. Thank you, Helen. All right, Mo, of your many interests, you told us you know a lot about popular TV shows of 1982, Barbara Streisand before 1985, and Chanel's best-selling fragrances of 1992. <laughs> Let's find out a little bit more about each of those first. Tell us why you love popular TV shows of 1982. Well, I think in the fifth and sixth grade, that's when my television viewing really peaked, mm-hmm. by which I mean just descended into madness. <laughs> Granted, this is for cable, so there were only three or four channels, but it was still pretty sick. All right. We also said you know a lot about Barbara Streisand before 1985. Before 1985, she's kind of a more raw and kind of complicated. Mm-hmm. And before that, from the from when she bursts onto the scene in 1962, and I can get it for you wholesale off Broadway with that amazing number as Miss Marmalstein too, you know, becoming Fanny Bryce in 1964 in the musical Funny Girl on Broadway, mm. then it being immortalized in the film version in 1968. <laughs> I mean, she just is was just so exciting and unprecedented. There'd never been anyone like her before then. So you prefer the unbridled wild horse version of Barbara Streisand. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well put. <laughs> All right. And then finally, you said you know a lot about Chanel's best-selling fragrances of 1992. Well, when I first came to New York, my first survival job was um, selling Chanel on the fragrance floor of Macy's. Oh, wow. Which is always the second largest department store in the world, because if you were a kid 34th like... 34th Street. The 34th Street. Yeah. You know, I remember growing up with the Guinness Book of World Records, and they always said Gums in Moscow was the biggest department mm. store in the world, but they, don't, they never had anything to sell. So Macy's was the second. <laughs> was the second. But if you're biggest, looking so to buy a potato, biggest. we know where to go. <laughs> if you're looking, yes. All right, well, to summarize, Mo, you said you know a lot about popular TV shows of 1982, Barbara Streisand before 1985, and Chanel's best-selling fragrances of 1992. Today, yes. we're going to quiz you about popular TV shows of 1982. Okay, all right. Uh, what go. were some of your favorites? I don't think you mentioned well, any I, specifics. I loved Three's Company, and I loved Dallas. Yeah, it was just so dramatic. And then I, I, I would soon switch over to Dynasty. So for mm-hmm. a while, I was juggling both of them. All right. Well, just ahead, we're going to enlist the help of an expert in your topic. But before that, to give you a chance to show off, here are five trivia questions about it, each worth one point. Now, if you want it, you're allowed a total of two hints among these five questions. Now, Karima, do listen closely because you can steal if Mo gets any of them wrong. Karima, by the way, how much do you know about popular TV shows of 1982? I know a bit because we watched a lot of reruns. So, okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> a little generational yes. divide, but with something in common. All right. All right, Mo, here's question number one. The number one TV series in 1982 is still on the air and is still often the number one show. While it's no longer hosted by the likes of Ed Bradley and Mike Wallace, what CBS News magazine is it? 60 Minutes. Helen? That is correct. That is correct for the point. By the way, Helen, he did not need that hint, but what would his hint have been? <laughs> That's right. You actually used Ellen's hint in your answer. And do people today, do young people even know what that means? I know, right? Like, what, is there a bomb in here? What's going on? No, it's called a clock. Even the bombs don't have sounds anymore. <laughs> right. Yeah, Daddy-O, get with the program. Oh God, I'm such an analog terrorist. <laughs> Fun fact, spinoffs of 60 Minutes have included 60 Minutes 2, 60 Minutes More, 60 Minutes Plus, and going in the other direction, 30 Minutes. Mm. <laughs> All right, here's question number two. 1982 was a big year for shows starting a successful run, with the debuts of such iconic titles including Knight Rider, St. Elsewhere, Remington Steel, Silver Spoons, Fame, and Family Ties, and those were just on one network. Which network premiered all of those shows in 1982? Ding, ding, ding. NBC. Helen? That is correct. 
Mo, you did not need the hint, but Helen, what would that hint have been? Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> he did it twice in a row. Oh my god, thank god, though, because she's doing it in a different key. It would have thrown me off completely. <laughs> I have to say, I don't think we've ever had our guest answer with the hint included, let alone have it happen twice in a row. You guys are simpatico. Fun fact, other shows that premiered in 1982 include Cheers, also on NBC, as well as Newhart, TJ Hooker, and Joni Loves Chachi. Question number three. 1982 was a big year for shows ending a successful run, with the finales of such iconic titles as Lou Grant, WKRP in Cincinnati, Late Night with Tom Snyder, and a syndicated variety show that debuted in 1951 and was hosted by a big band leader known for his colorful suits and champagne music. Who was this bubbly host? And a one and a two, Lawrence Welk. Helen? That is correct. That is correct for the point. What's the hint? What's the hint? Well, you know what's funny? I actually was going to put as the hint a one and a two and, you know, turn off the bubble machine, but I didn't know if you would know that. What is the hint that we came up with, Helen? You profiled this person in season two, episode seven of Mobituary. Nice. That's right. You did a whole episode on Lawrence Welk. With Fred Armisen. Fun fact, when Lawrence Welk started in 1951, his biggest competition on TV was Your Hit Parade. When he broadcast his last show, his main competition was MTV. All right, Mo, you were three for three. You still have your two hints available. 1982 was a big year for one show that seemed to end its run before getting picked up by another network. On May 15, 1982, the cast of What TV Show, which had just been canceled by ABC, received a standing ovation from the audience of Saturday Night Live before anyone knew the show would return in the fall on another network. Goodness. I'm going to need a hint. Helen, how about that first hint? That night's SNL was hosted by Danny DeVito. It's going to be Taxi. Helen? That is correct. That is correct for the point. Very good. Fun fact, the daytime soap Search for Tomorrow also changed networks in 1982, also moving to NBC. By the way, we did an entire segment about the TV show Taxi with guest Joel Stein on episode 49 of Go Fact Yourself. Mm, nice. Okay. All right. You are 4 for 4. You have a chance to go 5 for 5. Here is question number 5. The 1982 Super Bowl between the Bengals and 49ers remains to this day the highest-rated Super Bowl broadcast in NFL history with an astonishing 49.1 share. Who played the halftime show? 1982. Mm-hmm. It's it's going to... I'm thinking like Duran Duran. Mm-hmm. It's too early for Madonna. I am going to ask for a hint. Helen, how about that second hint? They weren't called Down With Animals. Up with people? Helen? That is correct. That is correct. Mo Rocca is five for five. <laughs> he still looks perplexed. <laughs> that, that seems so... Up with people, I, don't, I actually don't know much about them at all. But, yeah, up okay. with people for those, uh, for our younger viewers were uh, for somehow, inexplicably now, a very popular uh, singing and dancing group that had hundreds of members and would play all sorts of entertainment shows, uh, mostly in the mid-70s uh, to mid-80s. Um, by the way, the national anthem at that Super Bowl was sung by Diana Ross. That halftime show nice. with Up With People ran 13 minutes and managed to feature more than 10 songs, including Hey Jude, Michael Rowe the Boat Shore and Monster Mash. Monster Mash, which you want to hear in January at a Super Bowl show. (laughs) All right, Mo, you obviously did very well in that round, but now here's your expert level question that requires multiple answers. It's time for your cluster fact. We'll be bringing on an expert to discuss your response. 
Mo, we started this quiz by asking about 60 Minutes, but the most popular non-news program of 1982 was Dallas, which you happened to mention was one of your favorites. Dallas was such a phenomenon that it produced a long-running spin-off show that was also a top 20 show in 1982 and a reboot some 30 years later. Now, some characters appeared on all three of these shows, including Lucy Ewing and her mother, Valene. Notably, the actor who played Lucy was the youngest person in the opening credits of Dallas, and the actor who played Valene was the last person in the opening credits of the spinoff because that cast was listed in alphabetical order. For up to three points, what was this long-running spinoff of Dallas, and who are these actors who played Lucy and Valene Ewing? Knott's Landing okay. is a spinoff, and I believe that Lucy Ewing, who also appeared on Dallas, was played by Charlene Tilton, Okay, and the... Last person in the credits, who is Valine, mm-hmm. Yale Drama School graduate, Joan Van Ark. All right. Helen is taking note of those answers. We have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. In fact, we have two experts. Helen, who do we have tonight? Joining us tonight are two actors whose many accomplishments include playing mother and daughter on Dallas, its spinoff, and its reboot. It's Joan Van Ark and Charlene Tilton. Wow. Oh, my God. <laughs> How exciting. There's Charlene oh Tilton. Oh, my goodness. Hey, Mo, I want to hear all your Barbara Streisand knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> I'm an expert on. That's the only thing I'm an expert on. Joan, are you there? Yes, I'm here, but I want to kiss. <laughs> Yay. Mo, I love you because I was so afraid when you didn't mention it as a favorite show because you're way too smart. Everybody on this panel is way too smart. Uh, Charlene will talk. Maybe maybe yeah. a little a little hit and miss there. But my God in heaven that you knew, I thought, please, God, don't let him say, I'm sorry, but I have no idea who the mm played Valine. But you came through. God love you. God and love not only did he know that, he knew your alma mater. Yes, he did. God bless you. That's something nobody knows because I've done Broadway and London and theater and nobody ever knows or cares well i knew that and i am just a huge fan of the both of you i mean this is such a thrill for me i am serious this is wild and my goodness i'm calling my mom (laughs) (laughs) do you know do you even know though but baby because you've got so many i I mean i took notes the blurb nerd girl or something you're the blurred girl you're my kind of i'm a dumb blonde so you're my kind of person you're my (laughs) the opposite Coffee later, a drink, whatever you want. I'll do it. <laughs> this is amazing. Oh, my goodness. You're both icons. But go ahead, Mo. I know you have a moment. Grab no, a moment. no, not at all. No, I'm she, camera's absolutely right. You both are icons. And you have to see watching those shows at an age like 11, 12, and 13, even though for me, my, my parents had this whole system where you could only watch one hour of inappropriate TV a week <laughs> because these shows were just so delicious and exciting. And I thought, oh, my God, this is what happens when you grow up and exciting things like, you know, there'll be a custody battle and then somebody will come down in a helicopter and swoop the child up. <laughs> Charlene and Joan, uh, in addition to Mo being excited to see you, you both were excited to see each other. Oh, I, uh, my baby, my baby. Yes. <laughs> How's Vanessa, your beautiful daughter? Oh, well, how about your beautiful? beautiful daughter and is she starring in her own show or what is she still acting <laughs> she, she, she's doing great thank you and i have two little grandsons 
Oh, so, wow, wow. Which wow. I'm going to implement, implement that uh, parenting. I love that. One hour of inappropriate show. <laughs> yeah. What I want to know was, what did either show, I'm sure Dallas qualified for that, being a good one, did, did not, <laughs> did you ever violate that? I mean, what were the shows you were watching? Clearly the ones you mentioned, I guess. It's at one point for some reason, Fantasy Island ended up on because I think it was somebody's fantasy to have an extramarital affair. <laughs> Shirley, are you in Texas? And Joan, are you in California? I'm Where? in LA, Studio City, to be exact, on a hilltop. I live in yeah. Nashville now. In Nashville, I'm awesome. Okay, great. Very cool. Charlene, what do you remember about first meeting Joan and working with her? I remember she's so young and. But Leonard Katzman, our producer, said, you know, she was a child bride. And, and so, but she was so young to be playing my mother. Well, I took care mm -hmm. of that. Okay. I, <laughs> I fixed that up for you. Yeah, in the reboot, I, I, when they brought us both back for two lines that we had with each other, the fans were really upset about that. But I looked like I was your mother now. So it's just like, <laughs> I did. Not so, but there was, a, you're talking about the one where we were down, uh, I flew in and Ted was there for to playing Gary Ewing, Ted Shackelford, but we stood outside that front door, it seemed like forever too, but it was two quick scenes that Valine was in and I thought, uh-oh, what did Joan do wrong? But it lasted, what, just one season, was it? I think it was a couple seasons, but I know they made a lot of publicity and promotion for that big reunion and it ended up just being the two lines. Promoted that everywhere and... We, you knocked on the door. Hi, Mama. And Bobby says, Lucy, maybe you better go get some coffee. And I left. And that was it. <laughs> May I ask, do you have a huge German fan base? Because for a while, I was writing for a kid's TV show out of Dallas, Texas. And so South Fork, that ranch is nearby there. And they would just get tour buses like a, from a lot of Europeans, a lot of people from all over the world, but especially Germans. Yes, a, a lot, but and but from all over. And with the quarantine, with the pandemic, um, Amazon started airing Dallas from the beginning episodes. On, Is on, that right? Yes, and oh. I was blown away that it just caught on again on Amazon. And I had never seen every episode. I haven't. I, I haven't watched it. So, um, so I started to watch it. And my daughter comes home. I one night I'm babysitting the kids. The little boys are asleep. I'm in there watching. Dallas on Amazon and her she walks in the living room. She goes, Mom, what are you watching? I go, Dallas. All I needed was a martini and a cigarette like a sunset bullet. me there. <laughs> I've always been a nighttime soap star. It's just the pictures that got smaller. Yeah, that <laughs> Joan, did you watch the shows when they were on the air? Never did. No, I would really? always go up into the projection room didn't want them to know that I was in. I wanted to see if I had done the work as an actress. So I, I of course, knew the dialogue. So why did uh, all I looked for was, did I do the interior work? Did I do the mm. actor's work uh, mm. on the screen? And that's what mattered. And so I felt as long as I was checking to see if I was doing my contribution, uh, yeah. that was good enough for me. Yeah, time. it's like it's like it's like working on your off hours. You don't yeah, want to busman's like, holiday. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yes, yes. But some of our listeners may not quite comprehend how huge Dallas and Knott's Landing were at the time, I and mean, it was a cultural phenomenon. When when there was that whole storyline of who shot Jr., I remember watching local news in Chicago. That was the top story. And can I tell you that that really drove a wedge between my father and me because my father was a huge Bing Crosby fan, 
But when Bing Crosby's daughter ended up shooting JR, <laughs> I just didn't know how to handle that. <laughs> A lot of parent-child dynamics kind of working themselves out with uh, both on the show and people watching it. Um, Charlene and Joan, I want to ask you, what, what were some of the fun things that you got to do because of the show's popularity? There must have been some incredible experiences uh, that you had. For me, being 17, and then I get on this, and now I'm able to travel the world because it mm. A phenomenon worldwide, and Patrick Duffy explained to me that, that something that I didn't realize not too long ago. Patrick said, "You know, a show will often just roll out. You know, it'll start here and then roll out to different countries. Dallas went everywhere all at once, hmm. so that's why it was a huge global phenomenon, and we were requested all over the world. So I was, I got to travel and wow. do things and go to the White House and, you know, things that I never thought, you know, a little latchkey kid like me was ever going to get to do. It was it changed my life for sure. And Joan, I don't know if you can talk about this yet, but um, I, I understand that uh, we may possibly have not heard the end of the Knott's Landing story. What can you tell uh, us about that? Well, Joan, Michelle Lee and Donna Mills have been pitching oh. an idea because I think three aging divas Telling it like it is. No, really. Silly, yeah. goofy, go here, there, and everywhere. They're trying to put together a tour. Uh, one of the producers from the Tonys, actually, is trying to come up with a concept that may start uh, this fall, September, so that we would go around sort of learning what is the key, the kernel that might be the fun thing to have as a nucleus for a, a further effort. But I, I've loved to call it We're Not K-N-O-T Done Yet. <laughs> oh, I love that. <laughs> Perfect. Last thing I want to ask you, uh, Charlene, I know you've been very active in working for the foster care system, which is a, you are a product of as well. Tell us about this charity work that you do in the Nashville area. Um, I work with an organization called Love from Music City, and we are involved with the foster care system in Middle Tennessee. And you know, when a kid is just moved around from foster home to foster home, they don't really have any belongings and they take it in a little garbage bag or whatever. So every Christmas we give the kids, the foster children, a huge Christmas party. And it's like a great big department store and everything is new. Nothing is used. Everything is donated, mm -hmm. brand new. They get their backpacks, they get bicycles, they get clothes mm. and shoes and oh. books and toys and they get to go shopping they get to pick whatever they want and it's all just you know you've got from newborns to you know growing up all the way till 18 years old and it's beautiful it's amazing uh, yeah it's, beautiful. My, it's really remarkable and it's I'm glad. you can hear the love that you bring to that organization and yeah. i'm sure the people who benefit from that appreciate that uh let's get to the reason that we brought you all here as far as our game is concerned you heard the question that we asked of mo first we want to know what was that long running spinoff of dallas helen what did mo say Mo said, "Knots Landing." Joan and Charlene, can you tell him if he, was he correct? Oh, of course he was. Of I'm course he was. Very that good. He was. Uh, great. So that is a point there for Mo. Next, we wanted to know who were the actors who played the mother and daughter of Valene Ewing and Lucy Ewing. Helen, what was the first answer that Mo gave us? Mo said, "Charlene Tilton." And Miss Tilton. You were correct. <laughs> you were correct. Another point for Mo. Very good. And finally, what was the second answer that Mo gave us, Helen? Mo said Joan Van Ark. And I know it made your day. Was he correct, Joan? Oh, God. Thank God he was correct. <laughs> <laughs> he was correct. A clean sweep and a perfect game for Mo Rocca. Congratulations, Mo. Before we let you go, Mo, is there anything else you'd like to ask or say to our experts while we have them here? I want to say that this is a thrill. You've catapulted me back 
to my 12 and 13 year old self. And that was a very, very happy place to be the 12 year old, more than 13 year old, because junior high sucks for everyone. Yes, but, it does. But, yes, it does. The, yes, that's just miserable. But the 12 year old is awesome. That's really great. And the other thing I wanted to say in 2013, I did a piece about the 50th anniversary of Kennedy's assassination in Dallas. And one of the things I learned is that the city had for a long time been known as the city that killed Kennedy, mm. but that it was two things that took them out of that. It was the Dallas Cowboys and it was the television series Dallas that helped them sort of be seen as something more than the place where this horrible thing had happened. Amen. <laughs> Amen, indeed. All right, uh, Charlene, if people want to find out more about you and what you're up to, where can they do that? Oh my God, I'm such a technological ding dong. Um, I don't even know my Instagram or anything. There's <laughs> a fan page on Facebook. That's my daughter. I love her. <laughs> takes after her mom. And Joan, if people want to find out what you are up to, where can they do that? They can go to my website, joanvanark.com, and hopefully you'll catch up with what I've just done. And Joan, get back on stage. Oh, love you, love you. Uh, I, COVID has been, and in LA, it's been nuts. Horrible, horrible, but anyway. Well, we're so happy that both of you joined us. Charlene Tilton and Joan Van Ark, thank you so much, ladies. Thank you. Yay. All right, Helen, what is our score as we head into the final round? Jay Keith, it is a tie game right now. Kara Mahorn has nine points and Mo Rocca has nine points. And by the way, special acknowledgement to Mo who entered that round with one point and swept his entire category. Very well done, Mo. We've got a great game going into this final round. Now it is time for that final round that we call Fast Facts. I'll read 10 statements and each contestant will answer with true or false. Each correct answer is worth one point. Again, the answer to each statement is true or false. Here we begin. Karama, Disneyland is located in Southern California. True. Correct. Yep. Mo, <laughs> one attraction in Disneyland is called Main Street USA. True. Correct. Karama, Main Street USA opened five years after the rest of Disneyland opened. False. Correct. Mo, Main Street USA opened 10 years after the rest of Disneyland opened. False. Correct. Yeah, actually, Main Street USA opened the same day as the rest of Disneyland in 1955. Karama, Main Street USA used to feature a jams and jellies store. True. <laughs> Correct. Yep, it was called Sunnyview Farms Jams and Jellies. Mo, Main Street USA used to feature a watch and clocks store. False. Incorrect. No, I'm sorry it did. It was called Watches and Clocks and later New Century Watches and Clocks. Karama, Main Street USA used to feature a lingerie store. False. Incorrect. It really <gasps> did. Mo, the lingerie store featured a mechanical figure called the Wizard of Bras. True. Correct. Yes. Karama, the Wizard of Bras would educate guests about the history of underwear. True. Correct. Mo, the Wizard of Bras was voiced by Walt Disney. I wanted to be true so badly, but I'm going to say false. Correct. And finally, Karama, the Wizard of Oz voice was dubbed from its original Japanese version. False. <laughs> Correct. That was just for fun. I was going to say 1954. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. All right. We're not going to count that last one. I want to thank Karama Horn and Moraka as Helen tabulates the final score. By the way, that lingerie store was called Hollywood Maxwell's Intimate Apparel, Brasiers and Torsolettes. That was the title oh, of the store. Okay. It closed less than a year after opening. For some reason, didn't quite fit in to the Disneyland family theme park. Helen, are you ready to announce a winner on today's show? Jay Keith, it is still a tie. Oh, both Kara Mahorn and Mo Rocca each have 13 points. 
Oh, that means we go to our tiebreaker. Here's oh. how our tiebreaker works. I will ask you a question. The answer is a number. Whoever gets closer to the correct number wins. Now, we do not play Price is Right style, so no guessing $1. So I'm going to ask you the question, think about it for a moment, and then I'll ask you to blurt out your answers at the same time on the count of three. So don't answer right away. All right, here okay. is your tiebreaker question. Applebee's restaurants have several hundred locations in the U.S., but as of February 2022, how many Applebee's locations are there in Mexico? Again, we're looking for the number of Applebee's locations in Mexico. Give it a thought. All right, on the count of three, please blurt out your answer. One, two, three. 27. All right, I heard 27 from Moraka and the appropriately sci-fi answer of 42 from Karama. The actual number of Applebee's locations in Mexico as of February is 60. That means, Karama, you break the tie. You were the factory champion on Go Fact Yourself. Karama, congratulations. What will you do with your championship? I'm going to buy more mason jars. Thank you. All right. <laughs> An excellent, excellent cause. All right. We're going to wrap things up by giving everyone here a chance to promote anything they might like. Kara Mahorn, where can people find you and what you're up to? You can find me, Kara Mahorn, a.k.a. The Blurred Girl, T-H-E-B-L-E-R-D-G-U-R-L, all over the interwebs. But you guys know I, I get mail on Twitter. I'm there a lot. Uh, tw- Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, I'm basically all over. I also have bylines at The Wrap, Sci-Fi Wire, as well as Rotten Tomatoes. So if you want to read some geeky reviews, you can check me out there. And please pre-order Marvel's Protectors of Wakanda, a history and training manual of the Dora Milaje. It's dropping in September. And I'm super excited because it's coming out right before Black Panther 2. So. <laughs> a lot of things to look forward to in the fall. We're so happy that we had you here in the spring and summer. Kara Mahorn, thank you so much for joining us. Morocco, where can people find what you're up to? You can find me at Washington Square Park. Oh. Just sort of walking around. Yes, selling oregano to uh, naive college kids. <laughs> Exactly. I don't know if that reference and, works anymore now that weed is legal in New York. Uh, you can find me also on you can find me on the hellscape known as Twitter mm-hmm. at Moraka. Yeah, I guess that's kind of it. And uh, um, and on 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 the TV. Yay the TV and yay yeah. the podcast because that's yeah. where you joined us. Thank you so much, Mo yes. Raka. Thank you. A lot of fun. Ladies and gentlemen, my hosting partner is the funny, the Helen, the Hong, the Helen Hong. Where can people find you, Helen? I have a stand-up comedy special out right now, everybody. You can find yay. it. Yay! You can find it on Prime and Apple TV and YouTube. It's called Well Hong. Nice. Because I am a mature adult. Yes, indeed. She is mature. She is adult. Don't look for her in the mature adult section, though. She is Helen Hong. Uh, And me, you can find me on Twitter at J underscore Keith, on Instagram at jkeith.net, all spelled out. That just leaves me to thank Kara Mahorn, Mo Rocca, Richard Epcar, Crispin Freeman, Joan Van Ark, Charlene Tilton. I think this is the first show where we've had four experts. And thank you for listening and supporting our show at MaximumFun.org. I'm J. Keith Van Stratton. Good night. Like what you hear? Come see us live. It's happening again. Go to Go to GoFactorPod.com for our schedule and tickets. Meanwhile, please like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, all at GoFactorPod. Update our wiki at GoFactorWiki.Fandom.com and buy our T-shaped shirt at MaxFunStore.com. And give us a great review on your favorite podcast platform, like Fix Butch did on Apple Podcasts. Stop listening to sports radio in the car. Now I only listen to Jay Keith and Funny Helen Hong in the car. I love this show. Thanks, Fix Butch. Also, watch out for that pothole. Helen? 
Go Fact Yourself is a panel quiz program devised and produced by Jim Newman and J. Keith Van Stratton and comes to you via transcription from various homes across the country. Questions were compiled by the Trivia Industrial Complex. We are produced in collaboration with Maximum Fun. Maximum Fun senior producer is Laura Swisher. Associate producer and editor is Julian Burrell. Today's show engineer is Dave McKeever. Our theme song and incidental music were written and performed by Jonathan Green. Research assistance provided by Adam Needif. Quiz assistance provided by Leora Saul and Bart Gold. Promotional graphics by Erich Tran. Added support from Bob Skier, Dave Bianchi, and Christine Velada. Special thanks to Ben Laro of Pure Publicity, Javier Grajeda, Faith Saley, John Marshall, and Bob Bergen. I've been Helen Hong! Let's go watch anime! Yeah, in English and Japanese. Ooh, I wonder if they do Dallas. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned, audience supported.